This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And let us start on the day that's in it, 4th of July, to any of our American listeners to the programme today. May we wish you a very happy 4th of July. And it's a wonderful day weather-wise for it. If you're planning any kind of a little celebration amongst your family and your friends, you certainly will be able to get out and about because it's a lovely, warm, sunny day again today. And the good news is that we're to expect much of the same nice weather over the next few days. And the best news of all is that the very best of the weather is going to be with us here in the south of the country. The temperatures today in the south will go as high as 23 degrees. They won't go that high anywhere uh, else. And it's looking like little or no rain over the coming few days, according to Met Air and predominantly dry weather is likely to prevail over the next uh, few days. That's what Vincent O'Shea, a Met Air and forecaster, is saying the weekend. Going to be mostly dry, a mixture of, of sunny spells, just a little bit of cl- cloud and the temperatures are going to be in sort of high teens, low 20s. But the best of us certainly here with us in the South. So we will take that. So if you are celebrating 4th of July, have a fun, fun day. John Paul taking your calls at 1850 Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And of course, you can always email Patricia at c103.ie. And I'm going to start the show with an email because it references something that I've had on my desk all week. Well, since Monday and I've been meaning to um, spend some time and mention it and that is to do with the latest report from HICWA into Cantor Hospital. It was published on uh, Monday and we're always great in the media if any of our hospitals, our care facilities get a bad HICWA report. We're always first out of the blocks to talk about it and, you know, and, and bemoan the fact that there's bad care going on. So equally, we should be shouting from the rooftops when good reports uh, come out and really can Turk Hospital have uh, received a, a, a really great report. It's the, the this report is the first to reflect the impact of the intensive programme of improvements that have been made at the community hospital and the HICWA inspectors found a significant improvement in the prevailing culture. They were particularly pleased, well the staff were particularly pleased to read that the inspectors found that the staff were delivering care that is calm, relaxed and sociable with staff engaging with with the residents to find out their choices and preferences and to allay concerns and anxieties. HICWA also found that many initiatives were in place to address issues that had previously raised in relation to governance and to uh, management. And and while the hospital has not yet uh, received compliance, significant improvements have been made in the short time and the improvements will continue over the weeks and months. So certainly good news for people who have a loved one that are currently living in Cantor Community Hospital. And I got this lovely email in from uh, Anna to say, Patricia, I'm hoping you're well and that you'll share this good news story about Cantor Hospital. I know there's a new HICO report and the, uh, our, and the Corkman are today saying improvements at Cantor Hospital. As a daughter of a patient, I would like to give you my report. My mum is a patient in Cantor Hospital for about a year and a half now. She gets the most amazing care, medical care from the tips of her toes 
to the top of her head and all in between. All the staff are wonderful, generous with their time and always go that extra mile. I wouldn't like to mention any one individual and by the way I do know all of their names. I know their children's names as they know mine and they know that if I've had a bad day at work they are just wonderful. I am proud to be a part of the Canturk Community Hospital family. There are lots of great stuff going on and I'll give you an example. An ice cream van paid a visit there last week during the warm weather. This is just one event that I had to mention. Mam recently celebrated her 80th birthday. It happened in March of this year and the staff suggested that we have a little bit of a party to mark the occasion. We had a private room for some family. They provided a, love, they provided a lovely cake and I'm attaching a photograph. It was a wonderful day. But the day before Four, eight of Mam's friends made an unannounced visit. Yes, eight of them in total all turned up together to wish my mam a happy birthday. Well, let me tell you, the staff tidied mam up, made sure she was lovely for all of her friends. The staff went on to give my mam's friends lovely tea and coffee and cake. It's not over there. They also took a lovely group photograph, which I'm attaching. I arrived after work. Some of mam's friends were still there telling me what a wonderful visit they'd had with mam. They also all received a copy of the photograph Before they left, I cried tears of joy. Now, that is my report and I hope you'll read it out and tell all and tell all what a wonderful place Cantor Hospital is. Isn't that lovely and well done? And thank you, Anna, uh, for that. And I'm sure the staff at the hospital will be thrilled with that as well. Actually, what you should do is you should email on a copy of it to Cantor Hospital to let them know just in case hopefully some of them have heard it but just in case for those that haven't and they are, they are the kind of reports I know the HICWA reports are important but they're also the important reports when you get you know first hand somebody who is seeing who's in there a lot visiting her mother and is seeing the care and attention that she is getting. So everybody at Cantor Community Hospital, please take a bow. 1850 Let me remind you that today is a free ticket Thursday. This is our final free ticket Thursday for Live at the Marquee because Live at the Marquee will be wrapping up uh, this weekend and we have a pair of tickets to the final concert and the final concert is a pair of tickets to Hall and & Oates and that concert will be held next Monday night, the 8th of July. At some stage during the course of the day, I will give you a Q2 text. You must only text, though, your name and where you are. Then we will select a one of our listeners who will join us on air. You will answer a very quick question about live at the marquee. If you get the question right, you will receive a pair of tickets to Hall and uh, Oats. And because it is our last free ticket Thursday, we're going to be a little bit extra generous today. We're going to have two winners. Okay, so we're going to have two callers join me on air. Quick question, get the question right and a pair of tickets to Hall and uh, Oats. If you are a fan of Hall and Oats, Stick around and I'll tell you exactly when you can start texting us. Now, also coming up on the programme this morning, uh, dog owners throwing bags of dog faeces into trees at the cemetery in Middleton. This has got to be the most 
I, I don't know is it, which word to use first disrespectful or disgusting they're both D words that we need to use but I suppose disrespectful first you know please there are people grieving people go to visit their loved ones to remember their loved ones and you can have people in you know the most wallowing in grief when they arrive at a cemetery and to think somebody thinks it is okay to be out walking their dog and as they're passing the the cemetery there's no bins around so I'll just lob it up into the tree. What kind of a mentality does that person or persons uh, have? We're going to be discussing it on the programme today because we touched on dog fouling funnily enough yesterday when we had Minister Sean Canyon who was talking about the public consultation that has been opened up to tighten dog controls and you know in particular they're looking at the dangerous breeds and do we need to ban certain breeds but he also Sean Canny also said uh, in his role as Minister that it's one of the greatest issues that comes up no matter where he goes when he starts to talk about the control of dogs and how we need better you know, responsible pet ownership people constantly the length and breadth of the country will bring up the issue of dog fouling so it isn't a problem just pertaining to us here in Cork no matter where you go we have irresponsible dog owners who allow their dogs to foul and just walk away and think and just think it's okay and think it's acceptable but these the people we're going to be talking about this morning are going to the bother of bringing their bags with them to dispose of the dog poo and instead of waiting until they get to a bin or wait until they bring it home they're, you know, throwing it up into a tree, making no sense at all to me. We'll discuss that. Your thoughts and comments uh, welcomed. A new app to help victims of domestic abuse connect with local support services. I think this particular app is going to be extremely important to people who live in very rural areas and may not know exactly where they can go for help or may not be close to anywhere where they can go for for help. And often when you get a victim of domestic violence, they can feel very isolated because the abuser has gone on to isolate them from family and friends. And if they are in a very rural area, the abuser can also be controlling access to a car, for example. So it can be very hard for the person to get out, to get any kind of uh, help. So any kind of a service that brings, almost brings the help or certainly brings the advice right to the doorstep has got to be welcome. So we'll talk about this new app uh, on the programme this morning. The Environmental Protection Agency is going to be joining us about 20 past, 25 past 11 today. This is to do with the Environmental Protection Agency has issued a report looking at the number of inspections that have taken place on septic tanks over a two-year period and it's quite worrying to hear that half of all the septic tanks failed the inspection. So we are going to use the app. We'll talk obviously about the report and try to find out why so many septic tanks are failing inspections. But also I want to use it to try to give help to people who are living in a household with a septic tank. Are you looking after your septic tank properly? What do you need to do to make sure that your septic tank is maintained properly? Because I'm assuming if it's maintained properly, it will work properly. What do you do if something goes wrong? How would you know if something has gone wrong with your septic tank? So if you have a particular question about your own septic tank or a neighbour's septic tank or you're worried in any way, can you get the questions into us, please, and uh, get them in before our interview starts? As I say, about 25 past 11 today, 1850-333-103. It is Thursday, so a member from Garda Corner will join us with this week's Crime File. And then also on a Thursday, Jane uh, Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket answers all of your pet 
questions that and your thoughts and comments welcomed throughout the morning. Eileen has been on to the programme. This is picking up on a piece we did yesterday when I mentioned John from uh, one of our listeners from North Cork. I uh, was quite upset when he contacted us yesterday because uh, last week he had posted two birthday cards to a granddaughter in the city. One had money in it and one didn't have money in it but neither of the birthday cards uh, arrived and obviously there was disappointment that the grandchild didn't get the card but uh, you know, we have been onto one post and we still haven't heard back from them just as to what happens when a card like that uh, goes missing but he was just John was very d- disappointed for his grandchild but also you know and upset about it and was then a bit annoyed that the money the card with the money uh, especially was gone missing well Eileen contacted us to say Patricia I was listening to this morning about the man who had posted his granddaughter a card and it never arrived I was away from the radio for the rest of the show so I didn't hear any more anyway what happened to me was I live just 11 kilometres outside of Mallow a letter was posted to me on the 20th of June from Mallow. I didn't receive it until the 2nd of July. It was details, by the way, of my car insurance renewal. I rang up the company and they said, yes, we have posted out the details. I ended up going in, getting in the car, going in and doing my business directly with the insurance company and had my insurance renewed. When it did arrive on the 2nd of July, it did have a postmark of the 20th of June. Another letter last week took three days to come out to me, again, from Mallow. And as I said, I live 11 kilometres outside of Mallow. I would be thinking his granddaughter, hopefully, might still get her card. Just to share that with you. Thanking you, says Eileen. And that's with our own sorting office in Little Island. We were talking last week with the Little Island when, when that closes next March, that our mail is going to have to go up the country. And I was saying the one advantage of having the sorting office is we've next day delivery. But if things, if we're getting it, cases like that, I mean, how, how... Can anybody explain a letter being posted on the 20th of June from Mallow Town to somebody 11 kilometres away that it can take until the 2nd of June? And even the one on the, well, on the three-day one, I suppose, okay, let's think about the three-day one. If you put something in the post by five o'clock on a Monday, you should have next day delivery by Tuesday. So, say you put it in the post after five o'clock on Monday so it missed the pickup. It wouldn't get picked up until Tuesday so it would arrive on Wednesday. It would still be two days, wouldn't it? Not three days. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to understand. But anyway, at least, Eileen, your, your letters eventually arrived. Let's keep our fingers crossed for uh, John and hopefully John can let us know if his granddaughter has or does receive the birthday cards that have gone missing. And as I say, we did, we have made contact with on post, but we have had no response uh, yet. Now, text in just now to 0862103103 from Margaret in Bantry. Says, good morning to you, Patricia. Margaret and Bantry here. In the grapevine, the grapevine, by the way, for people outside is uh, outside the areas, it's a free monthly magazine that covers uh, issues pertaining to uh, West Cork. In the this month's or this week's grapevine, there's a lovely photograph of the award for the overall winner that was received for Bantry Tidy Towns. And well done to all. But Patricia, where is the photograph of the people who did all the hard work? Why, why are they not in the uh, photograph? Okay, so I got in that text and I was thinking, and I read it a second time, and I'm thinking, Margaret, I, I don't know where you're coming from with your text. Obviously, a group of people, the committee normally, were invited to go to Farm Lee when they got shortlisted for that, comp- for that competition. And it was Pride of Place. They won the Pride of Place and then they won the overall prize. 
every single volunteer who takes part in Tidy Towns can't all go to an awards ceremony. I mean, it just would be physically impossible to ever have awards ceremonies if we had every single volunteer that was involved in whatever charity or voluntary group were up for a particular award. So there's a certain number of people, normally the committee, normally the committee are the ones to, can I say, who do the majority of the work. Now they get backed up and helped and they will be the first to say that they can't do the work without the volunteers. But you can't have everybody going along. And actually, I interviewed Winnie O'Sullivan. I think it was the chairperson, is she, of the Bantry Tidy Towns. And when I interviewed her after that win, and she was so surprised, she was so surprised that initially they won in their category, but then to get the overall prize, they were completely blown away by it. She was fulsome in her praise of the volunteers when we interviewed her and said they could never have picked up that award or any other award or continue, they're continuing to do good in the Tidy Towns competition without all of the volunteers. They're always looking for extra volunteers. It's the same with all Tidy Towns groups. But I actually think, Margaret, and I'm thankful for your text, but I think you're being a bit petty in your text saying where are all the people, the hard-working people who do... I, I Actually, I've, I, I changed the cont- I changed exactly what Margaret said because I thought it was a bit hurtful. But let me just tell you exactly what she said. She says in the text, Patricia, uh, where is the photo of the people who did all the hard work? It's not the people accepting the award in the photograph. And I think that's unfair. I really do think that's unfair. If you don't have a committee or an overall group organising volunteers then absolutely no work gets done at all. Ask anyone who's on a committee how hard is it to get people, new people onto the committee, to get new people to replace if somebody wants to retire from the the committee. Committees work really, really hard. They will always say that they get backed up and they're only able to do the work they do because of volunteers. But I think when you get to award ceremonies, it is only right and proper that the committees, the people that run whatever it is, whatever community, group, charity, whatever it is, it is only right and proper that they go and pick up any award. But remember, they pick it up on behalf of all of the volunteers. They're not picking the award up just for them. So, Margaret, while I'm thankful for your text, I think you're being a bit petty this morning. Now, county councillors have expressed their anger and disgust at dog owners who are throwing bags of dog poo into trees at Middleton Cemetery. The issue was raised at the meeting of the East Cork Municipal District Council by Fianna Councillor Susan McCarthy, who takes time out uh, to join me. Good morning to you, Susan. Good morning, Patricia. Um, How are you? I'm very well. Are we talking about an isolated incident here or is there evidence that this is an ongoing problem? It unfortunately is an ongoing problem. And, you know, I mean, not only is it in kind of a, a place of rest for people and and you know, whose loved ones go and visit them there, you know, it, like, it, it, it's just, it, that's bad enough in itself. But the fact that because people go and visit in these flowers, there's also a skip there for any kind of, you know, any kind of rubbish or whatever um, provided by the church, you know, in case anybody needs to, you know, kind of remove things from, you know. Yeah, dispose of the pots, flowers whatever, and stuff, you yeah. Know? And to think then that this is being done, it's, it's, it sounds like it's almost, I don't know, it's, is it deliberate or what? I don't know. Is it lack of education? I, I just can't see myself, Patricia, the logic behind doing something that so, bad. But, but, you know. but what's getting me is the dog owners are bringing their bags with them because the, the, the faeces is in the bags. Are they just too lazy to dispose of the bag once they've cleaned up? I mean, is, is there, 
there is an element of that, all right, because I know that some of the some of the bins around kind of you know kind of places where people go to walk dogs, you know, kind of the more logical places where people go to walk dogs, bins were removed, and you what you saw was you had people leaving the plastic bag with the dog poo at the place where the bin used to be, because they were annoyed, you know, at the fact that the the, the, the bins the bin, were gone. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, I can understand their annoyance. I'm you know I'm a dog owner myself. But I would never in a million years do that because what you're doing is you're actually, it's, what you're doing is worse than actually leaving the dog poo behind. Because if you leave the dog poo behind, it is biodegradable. You know, it will eventually, you know, rolled away. Out. Yeah. Whereas if you leave a plastic bag, especially in a time when we're trying to discourage single-use plastic, mm, absolutely, it's actually double. It's a double whammy. It's it's far far worse. You're better off, you know. Like I mean, sometimes now, if 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 I am in a very very distant remote place with the dog and, you know, I don't want to be carrying the, the, you know, for miles and miles. I would use the plastic bag, turn it inside out, move the move the dog poo off the thoroughfare, the public thoroughfare, to a more appropriate, you know, into a ditch or whatever, yeah. out of people's way. But not in the and plastic bag. And turn the bag. bag inside out. And at least then I only have an empty uh, inside out bag to dispose of. Very sensible thing to do. But I but think it's... the thing of actually leaving the... the in the bag. In it is just, and they're not, not... The majority of those bags are not biodegradable, should they not? No, now I know that some people do use the biodegradable forms and they are becoming a little bit more, but no, a lot of them aren't. Um, Sadly, no, no. Uh, But it's doing it, Susan, at a local cemetery. It's particularly disrespectful. Well, I think that's what really, you know, because I mean, I had seen it down by, there's a walkway on the N25, just adjacent to the N25, and I, I had seen it being done there. You know, being left at the, you know, at the place where the bins used to be and being thrown up in the trees there. But then this practice of doing it in the cemetery, I just thought, like, this is just not, not, not acceptable. It's never acceptable. And I mean, yes, it may be frustrating that you have to carry this home, but you take on the responsibility of a dog, of owning a dog. Unfortunately, that means that you do have to take on the responsibility that goes with it. And, like, there's never an excuse for it, really. You know, I, I, I think we need to educate people and kind of, you know, uh, that's why I actually asked in that motion that maybe there would be a programme of... of um, information and education, you know, both in schools and on media and social media that we'd try to get the message out there that this is just not, this is wrong. You know, it's not the correct response to bins being removed, you know. But do you need more bins? Does that what it, go, do. does that think, what it go back know, I look, to? As far as, you know, I, I know that they're, they're, they're saying, look, you know, they're trying to follow, um, I suppose, what happens in other countries where people are encouraged to always bring their waste home. And, you know, a lot of um, kind of, I suppose, European countries uh, Western countries have actually reduced the number of bins that they have in urban areas even, you know. But that aside, until we get people to kind of get, come around to that idea, I, I don't think it's right to actually remove all the bins in one swoop like that because people are used to having that as part of their public amenity. They're usually there. So I think, you know, maybe removing one or two would have been acceptable, but removing them all is just, it's not working, obviously. So I have asked for them to be reinstated as have other councillors indeed. But if local tidy towns groups were willing to empty particularly the dog fouling bins you know the red ones could the council provide those? They did to be fair the council did provide those at, at, at different locations and I suppose look I, you know this is more unique to Middleton but what happened was there was two particular um, people on the tidy towns committee who were kind of left with the task you know, every every yeah. week to ten days, and you know, after a few years, and you know, there was nobody to rotate on. Unfortunately, nobody wanted to take it on, and that's it's a horrible job. It. it is. 
Because they had to literally kind of go around with sacks and empty them into their, you know, have them in the back in the boot of their car. You know, and if you think like, you know, that you know, for health and safety reasons, you know, a lot of um, personnel, council personnel wouldn't, you know, wouldn't do that in a million years because it wouldn't be acceptable or, you know, but yet they had to do that. And I suppose really... You know, it's, it's it's a difficult one, really, Patricia, because... So any, right. any of the towns that do have those uh, red... The red they're, they're normally red boxes. That's right. The dog follow. Are you saying the council never empty any of those? It's always local community groups do it? I did actually do a little bit of recce work. Now, I haven't actually spoken to councillors around the country since <clears throat> since this story broke, but I do know that there is variance... <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, between different um, municipal districts and different wards, how they handle it. Some of them are collected, and I suppose wards that actually take in more money with property tax and have a little bit more uh, resources to put into personnel, yeah. they do collect them. But in other wards then, in other districts, it is actually local tidy towns groups that do. So there's no uniformity, and maybe that's what we need to look at. We need to look at maybe make, you know kind of coming up with some sort of national policy. You know, it, it's kind of laughable in a way, Patricia, that... We're talking about such a trivial thing, but it has become, a, you know, it is a big issue, unfortunately. Well, yes, yesterday, are, yesterday know, on the programme, I was speaking with Minister Sean Canney, who has responsibility for this, and he was talking about the public consultation on uh, tightening up the, the dog control laws. And he mentioned, no matter where he goes in the country, when he starts talking about dogs and the control of dogs, dog fouling is mentioned. It's a national issue. We need to come up with solutions. Absolutely. And I think that's the next step, you know, and I think, you know, the fact that this is kind of, I suppose, been put into the national spotlight because of the fact that it was in a graveyard and it's a bit, you know, it's, 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 it makes it, I suppose, it really highlights how bad, how bad things have gotten. It's probably, hopefully, a positive thing because, you know, hopefully there will be an impetus now yeah. to, to, to look at it in, in, in real terms and you know, find, a, I suppose, a meaningful solution to it, you know. Yeah, out, out of a bad story, some good uh, some good can come, hopefully. OK, we'll leave it's it gone. there, um, Susan. We'll keep in contact with you on this one if there is any breakthroughs. But in the meantime, thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning thank to you. you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Fianna Gael, uh, Councillor for uh, Middleton, uh, Susan McCarthy. 1850-333-103. John Paul takes your calls. Text or WhatsApp 862 Every Friday, we're counting down to the weekend, the weekend. by turning up the Feel Good. C103's Feel Good Friday brings you six hours of Feel Good Greatest Hits. Join Nick Richards from 1 and Martina O'Donoghue from 4 as we get you weekend ready. Weekend ready. Turn, turn, turn. Turning up the feel-good for Cork. For Cork. Every Friday from 1. Feel-good Friday, only on C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Bright Sky Ireland is the latest addition to the Domestic Violence Project by Vodafone Ireland Foundation, which uses a new app which will connect victims of domestic violence and abuse to support services across the country. It's been created in partnership with Angartha Siakona and Women's Aid, where I'm joined from Women's Aid by their service manager, Gillian Dennehy. Good morning to you, Gillian. Good morning. And, and you're welcome. Can you firstly outline how this app will work? Yeah, um, so it's a free app um, and it's specifically for um, victims of domestic survivors of domestic violence and abuse um, for advice and, and support services across the country. 
Um, it is in partnership uh, with ourselves on Garda Siakona and Vodafone Ireland. It was first developed in the UK, created by a domestic violence charity there called Hestia. Um, and then, you know, they wanted to kind of bring it across um, to Ireland and they're so hoping to spread it across Europe. Um, and we were kind of one of the, the only other countries outside of Europe, um, outside of the UK, to, to, to launch it here. Um, so essentially, it provides two paths. It provides a path, you know, do you want help for yourself? or do you want help for someone else? Um, so it also can be used by family, friends, professionals as well. Um, and you can put in, you can search for local and national services by putting in, you know, your air code and, and it can pick up your current location to, to locate them. Oh, that's clever. It provi- yeah, it also provides, um, you know, highlights the types of support available because often people don't know what's available because there's national helplines, there's also local helplines, there's also outreach services. Um, and there's like many, you know, services in court to provide outreach support. So that's, you know, that, that they, you know, pe- domestic abuse workers will meet women in the community. Um, and there's also court accompaniment work, you know, attending court with women. And also, of course, refuge accommodation. And so there's different videos that talks about that because it often it can be very daunting for people when they leave or when they're considering leaving um, to, to kind of go, well, what do I do? Who do I go to? And it kind of explains it and um, explains what can be offered to people. It also, you know, provides... Um, step to consider if leaving an abusive relationship because that is the most dangerous time for women um, and it kind of gives some uh, information and support to friends and family around this um, kind of you know how to do it in a safe way and the key thing is for friends and family to, to link someone in with a domestic abuse service if that's what the person wants um, we just walk that journey with someone because we yeah. broadcast to um, a lot of rural areas, Gillian, uh, across uh, Cork County. Mm-hmm. A service like this is particularly important. Is it to somebody who lives in a very isolated area? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, like you know, so most of us now are connected. Most of us uh, these days have uh, smartphones. Um, you know, we're on our phone constantly. Um, and so this is a way to kind of go, right, okay, I, you know, don't maybe want to talk to somebody yet. I just want to kind of, you know, put, dip my toe in the water, you know, download this app and kind of go, okay, well, what, like, is it, is it, you know, because it's very difficult for someone to actually name what they're experiencing as domestic abuse. So there's kind of some questions exploring that. Um, and it kind of shows them, well, actually, there's a lot out there for you. And in Cork, you know, you have Coonley Refuge, even Manal Fasa. You've Ask Cork and Cork City. You've the West Cork Women Against Violence Project, and you've Yana North Cork Domestic Violence Project. So there's lots of great local services mm. provide a lot in terms of outreach, drop-in, um, and court accompaniment. Um, and that's so that you know for some people they might be like, wow, there's a lot out there for me. Um, a lot of people, you know, place um local services that I can reach. You know, um, and it also has like I just supposed to say a groundbreaking feature of it, of the app and what you know what we're really um, delighted with is. Um, is a feature that allows somebody um, to record on their phone, like kind of using it as a secure digital journal using text, audio, video, or photo function. Um, and this can be saved, on, so it doesn't get saved on the phone. It gets sent, um, um, sent, you know, to an email, a secure email inside the phone, um, and that can be used in, as as evidence. Uh, and this is particularly important with the new course of control offence that's going yeah. to place um, on, on the 1st of January. Um, and this is something the guards are really excited about because they're like, well, this this would be great if you had somebody and they had everything recorded, um, you know, in a secure place. You know, this can be, you know, really vital evidence for them. And and, um, and they really, uh, and, uh, a fantastic feature, but also so important, as you mentioned, the content doesn't get saved to the device because the fear is yeah. that somebody's living, uh, particularly under course of control, 
yeah. the partner may have access to the phone so it yes. like doesn't get saved to the phone yeah yeah exactly exactly um and it does the phone has a covert mode i'm not going to say what the covert mode is okay please don't yeah, yeah 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 mode um so that you know is, is something hopefully that would disguise the phone like it might not be for everybody you know and in, in terms of you know if, if you know you think somebody has um spyware on your phone downloading an app a new app about domestic abuse might not be the safest thing to do. Um, and, you know, the, I suppose then it would be contacting, you know, our helpline, which is 1-800-341-900, which is 24-7, and we'd be able to provide them information on um, local services and support that's out there for them. And that the, might be a safer way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The Vodafone Foundation, uh, Gillian, carried out research uh, showing 31% yes. of Irish yes. workers have experienced domestic yeah. violence. I, I thought that was a very scary figure, 31%. Yes, yes, indeed, yeah, and, you know, um, I've, like, actually worked in um, domestic homicide reviews in the UK, um, and that's where, you know, you review when when somebody has been killed because of domestic abuse, and often, yeah, what, what findings showed from those reviews was that um, victims, and these were victims um, because they were murdered, were more likely to contact friends or a family member for help and support before a formal agency, um, and that does, of course, include colleagues. You know, mm-hmm. so we often found that, you know, actually interviewing for these reviews, interviewing colleagues, interviewing employees and employers um, in the workplace uh, provided a wealth of information about what that person was experiencing. Um, and it can really affect people in work, for example, you know, having, you know, missing days because of injury or because of the emotional impact of domestic abuse. Um, you know, the abuser can be, you know, deliberately preventing them from going to work. Um, you know, you know, harassing them at work, um, so it causes them, you know, they have to have their phone on them all the time, distracting them, you know, things like that. So there's all, lots of ways that I can, uh, you know, impact somebody negatively in the workplace. Okay, and the um, app is the app is now up and running. The app is now up and running. You can go to your Play Store on, you know, Android um, or your iPhone and can um, look for Bright Sky Ireland. Bright um, Sky Ireland. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and, and your message to victims, to anybody listening, Gillian, is to reach out that there there is help available. That's it, yeah. You know, you know, Women's Aid will be there 24-7, um, you know, and other local services as well in Cork. Um, and we're there to listen, believe and support women um, through this experience and that, you know, you're not alone. Um and that's, that's the key okay. message, really. All right, all right. And yeah. as you say, people can also access it, families or friends looking to help a victim because often people feel yeah. a bit helpless. They don't know where to go so they can access uh, that app as well. Listen, continue. Good luck, Gillian, with the work of uh, Women's Aid. Thank you for that. Not at all. Thanks for and, uh, having me. Bye-bye and thank you bye-bye. for joining bye-bye. us. And just to follow that up with just some phone numbers, particularly of services that Gillian actually uh, mentioned. She mentioned Yana, which is the Domestic Violence Help uh, Line and Service in North Cork. Yana can be contacted at 022 53915. The West Cork Women's Project is 027 53847. They also have a free phone helpline one eight hundred two zero three one three six. Manor Fassa is available at O two one four two one one seven five seven, and the Cork Sexual Violence Centre one eight hundred four nine six four nine six. And Women's Aid that Gillian, where Gillian works, is one eight hundred three four one nine hundred, and that operates. 24-7-1-800-341-900 and Bright Sky Ireland. 
the name of the app. Heidi by WhatsApp reacting to our piece with Councillor Susan McCarthy in East Cork of how the senselessness of people picking up after their dogs when they have them out for a walk and then couldn't be bothered waiting to find a bin so tossing it up into a tree but doing it in trees in a cemetery. It's just how disrespectful. Uh, Morning Patricia, it's not education on dog poo. It's simply common sense. It's just plain laziness. These people know that throwing bags into a tree is not correct. Put CCTV cameras to see exactly who is doing it. Then give them a big fine. Show it's not on to behave that way. And you wonder if fining, if that's the problem, not enough people are getting fined. Fining does act as a deterrent if you're catching more people and finding more people. Others may stop and think, that's for sure. Uh, thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. OK, we're going to take a break. We have news at 11. We'll catch up a lot of commentary coming in this morning. We'll catch up on that after uh, 11. And then about 25 past 11 or thereabouts, the EPA joining us to talk about septic tanks. If you have a question with regards to your own septic tank or a neighbour's septic tank, you can get the questions in. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were speaking in the last hour with Women's Aid about that new app that's out that's going to help people to locally connect with services if they're a victim of domestic abuse. A listener says, what happens if the abuser goes through your phone and how often have we heard that happen uh, when somebody's in an abusive relationship that the abuser took control of everything, including the phone? Well, that's one of the things that Gillian explained. There is a default setting on it so that if anybody else picked up the phone and was going through it, it'd look like something else. But she obviously, for very obvious reasons, didn't want to get into what that was, didn't want to give sort of that little secret away. Uh, about what it actually does and how it actually protects the person. They will be Women's Aid and on Garda Corner who have put this together along with other uh, charities that work with victims of abuse know how the abused person needs to be protected. So that has already been uh, covered. But uh, yeah, it was the one thing I thought of as well, I have to say, when I first started looking into this particular uh, app that's just launched. Uh, Bright Sky Ireland is the name of the app. Thank you for your text, by the way. Another texter says, you're talking, or oh, this is to do with on and letters not arriving on time. You're talking about a letter taking three days to arrive. Well, says this texture. We have a postman who will not come up our road if he doesn't have a letter for anyone else. There are three houses on my road. And has the postman actually said that to you? Are you are you anecdotally believing that? That's because if it is true, there. I mean, there is a public service agreement that they must deliver letters uh, to people's houses. I mean, I certainly would be getting on to one post if you actually have proof or if the postman has actually told you that as he got permission from his superiors to be able to do that. Uh, I wonder, I certainly would be looking into that because if you're waiting on a letter that you needed to arrive on time... Uh, I'd I'd be getting on to on post but then John and Bannon Hasick was on to us to say last year he got a hospital appointment but the letter took 16 days to arrive by the time it arrived he had missed his appointment now it was posted he said just outside the city so when he started looking at the stamp on the envelope it looked different so he checked it out and it turns out it wasn't on post was delivering the letter it was a company who are based in Dublin and they basically do postal delivery for larger companies. They undercut on post by 22 cent a letter. But what happens is all the letters are brought to Dublin, they're sorted there and then they're sent down and back around the country. That's why John's letter 
was uh, so late. It took 16 days. But even you wonder why it would take 16, 16 days. It seems a very excessive uh, delay. So John is worried. Will something similar happen when they close the little island centre? Could the same situation will arrive for impossible? Well, it's the one thing everyone's worried about. Will we have next day delivery or as close to next day delivery that we like to believe we have if the post has to go up the country and it'll be going to Athlone Port Leash and then we'll have to come back down uh, to us. 1850-333-103. Nancy in Bantry has been on to say, I was watching the news last night and I was really taken aback at Leo Varadkar's response to Micheál Martin. I know Micheál Martin started the debate, but it was Leo's response to Micheál saying he was like a priest saying mass. And then when he went off the altar, he was committing the uh, acts. He was committing sins. Nancy and Bantry said, I was actually offended by those comments. There is no need for that type of response. I feel Leo Varadkar has no class. And I'm wondering this morning, what did other people uh, think. And this was Micheál Martin and Leo Varadkar. They were sniping at each other yesterday. And it was a kind of an over and back was going on. And at one stage, Micheál Martin said to the Taoiseach he was being petty, he was being silly and he was being idiotic. And they kind of had a spat in the morning and then it started again in the afternoon. And it got kicked off with Micheál Martin repeatedly asking the Taoiseach how the overspending on the you know, flagship programmes, things like the National Children's Hospital, the Royal Broadbands, how that was going to affect other big projects. And obviously, all politics are local. Micheál Martin is worried about the Dunkettle interchange outside of Cork City. And he also mentioned hospitals in Cork and Limerick and how if money goes on the overspent, the bigger projects will some of the smaller projects lose out and will the Dunkettle interchange, you know, will Cork City hospitals uh, lose out? So he's kind of looking after his own patch. So the argument was kind of going over and back uh, between the two of of them. Uh, and as I say, you know, me, Micheál Martin was saying the Taoiseach was being silly and idiotic with some of the things Leo Varadkar was saying as Leo Varadkar was kind of saying that Fianna Fáil were against projects like the Dunkettle uh, interchange and you know so the spat was going on uh, and the Taoiseach hit back then at Micheál Martin saying he was bemused to find Micheál Martin accusing him of being personal partisan and engaging in name calling and that's when Leo Varadkar said he Micheál Martin kind of reminds me of one of those parish priests who preaches from the altar telling us to avoid sin while secretly going behind the altar and engaging in any amount of sin himself. Now, Leo Martin didn't answer that. That was kind of the end of it, even though I did see on Twitter that Leo, that Micheál Martin responded on Twitter. It was, um, I think it was, um, was it a journalist from the uh, Examiner, I think, tweeted about what Leo Radker had said and Micheál Martin just responded to, to the tweet saying that the tweet reflected more on the Taoiseach than on anyone uh, else. But I saw the clip on the news last night and I my instant reaction was this is going to offend. It is going to certainly offend people, offend Catholics. And it was kind of a slur on priests uh, as well. Anyway, Nancy in Bantry didn't like it and she was offended. She was the one straight away. She heard the comments and she was offended. So she wonders, how do others feel? Did you hear Leo Varadkar? Or is it just what goes on in politics nowadays, this kind of over and back and tit for and you said and I said and you're like this and you're like that and at times 
you kind of look at it and think they're like a bunch of children in a playground. Anyway, your thoughts welcomed uh, on uh, that are, is Nancy right to be offended or was Leo Varadkar right in what he said to Micheál Martin and would you take absolutely no offence and look at it as just a good put down to Micheál Martin and a kind of put Micheál Martin back in his box. Is that the kind of view you'd be taking? 1850 dog fouling. The minute we mentioned dog fouling, you know, we always get comments in. Pat Infomoy says this prob issue with dog fouling is going on forever. There is a simple answer but we just never seem to take the bull by the horns and do it here in this country. The answer is that every single dog in this country should be microchipped and when you microchip the dog you take some of their DNA. Then if dog poo was found somewhere you cross-reference it with the DNA bank and you'll be able to identify exactly who the dog is who the dog owner is, and then you force the owner. But we need to start enforcing that. According to Patton from Moy, they do that in the United Kingdom uh, and it works and that we need to do that. And until we take on the issue and start fining people, we will never get to the bottom of it. We will never, ever uh, fix it. Tom says dog fouling in the countryside is also a problem. So don't just think that this is a problem that only happens in towns and villages, particularly where dogs are left to run free in fields. When cows go into graze in a field, dog poo can cause, now this is what Tom is calling, neospora disease. It's a, a disease that the cattle pick up, so it's a problem for farmers as well, says Tom. So don't think if you're bringing your dog out into the countryside that you think, oh, it's okay, I don't need to clean up after them. So these are big open fields. You do, says Tom. And Geraldine is in Donnerwell saying, we have the beautiful park in Donnerwell Park. Recently, I saw a nappy left near the river. That was just last week. So somebody went, changed the baby's nappy and just leaves it by the river. Ah, oh, how shameful is that? Then I saw dog poo around various places around the park. Uh, and as you go down near the waterfall, someone had actually left a black bag of rubbish near a tree. It's a disgrace the way people are doing this. And by the way, says Geraldine, Donnerell Park do provide bins and bags for the dogs. So there's no excuse at all for people not to be disposing of it uh, properly. If, if these people are caught, they should be banned for life from the park, says Geraldine. It would be hard to catch them in action. Uh, but uh, if they were and could be ever found, then they should be banned forever, banned for life or banned for a period of time. They might show more respect then. 1850-333-103. And I mentioned Cantor Hospital earlier on in the start of the programme and the fact that they got a great HICWA, a recent HICWA inspection. The report came out this week. Vincent in, Mar- in Newmarket said, it was great to hear a good news story to start my day, says Vincent. You can't say enough about Cantor Community Hospital. It's the pillar of the community here in Cantor. Staff are fantastic. They do so much. There is so much care. Wonderful to hear this morning that they got a good report from HICWA. And Anna in Hollow saying similar. Great to hear about the report. Uh, it's a good news story. The sun is shining. It has brightened up my day. I have had relatives in the past who were patients at the hospital and they received such wonderful, wonderful care. Continue good luck to everybody at Cantor Hospital. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. 
There are a number of positions available through community employment that's in the Rathmore area, while part-time cleaning operator is required for evening work that's in the Lombardstown area, and experienced blocklayer wanted for immediate start for work for Cork City and McCroom. And pipe fishers are wanted to work with the mechanical contractor in Cork. Candidates should be able to read and interpret ISO drawings. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. Now, the Environmental Protection Agency have released a review of over 2,000 inspections of septic tanks and other domestic wastewater treatment systems with nearly half of all the systems failing the inspection. To talk about why so many are failing and what households need to do to properly maintain their systems, I'm joined by Noel Byrne, who is a senior scientist with the Environmental Protection Agency. Good morning to you, Noel. Morning, Patricia. Uh, You're welcome to the programme. Okay, what are the risks to the household and indeed to the environment if a septic tank is not working properly? Yeah, I'm glad you raised that, Patricia. That's the most important factor of this, and like your listeners to take this on board today. But if you have a malfunctioning septic tank system, it poses a risk to people's health and the environment. Now, if we take the health aspect first, there's two ways really you can get a health impact in relation to a poorly farming septic tank. If you have a situation where the sewage is ponding on your garden or in the back, back lawn someplace, that's where you can come in contact with it and become ill. But the second group, which is a really important group, there's 165,000 households who have a septic tank and a drinking water well on the same site. And studies have found frequent occurrences of bacteria in household wells and have come from septic tanks. So that's the concern there. And if you take it, adults drink approximately two litres of water per day. You know, does anyone want to think that they may be drinking contaminated water? You know, and this Absolutely is particularly not. for vulnerable people in society, you know, someone may be immunosuppressed or someone has a very young child or even someone who's pregnant. Those people have to be particularly careful there. So that's on the health side. And on the environmental side, Ireland has a national river management plan and that has identified 166 sections of the river where sewage from single houses and private developments are contributing factors impacting on water quality and affecting the aquatic life. So if you have a malfunctioning septic tank, there's risk there to householders' health and to the environment and that's why people need to do something about it. And when some when a household fails one of these inspections, what happens then? Does, is there a time frame to sort out the problems? Yeah, in essence, you, you, you'll obviously get an inspection. You get a notice of the inspection, you get 10 days' notice. Then someone from the local authority will come out, they'll check check the documentation that you have and they'll, check, they'll walk through the system you have and look, look at what's happened on site. If there is an, ident- an issue identified, as and in this case, like what was identified from 2017 and 2018, that 48% failed, then you will get an advisory notice within 21 days. And that'll roughly give you a time frame. If it's generally a main, there's two, there's two causes of failures here. One is maintenance, and that's people are not really cleaning out their tanks after required intervals, and tanks should be cleaned out roughly somewhere between three, three to five years, depending on the number of people living in the house. So that's a maintenance issue, and you'll get probably one to three months to solve that. But construction issues, which could be damages to the system, leaks or overflows, that can take longer. So that can be from three to maybe 12 months. So you have that time period to resolve it. Um, and now if you don't resolve it in that period, then the local authority have can escalate actions then ultimately up to court. And are they the most two common uh, reasons why a septic tank will fail? One is the ma- is maintenance the main one, do you believe? 
It's, it's roughly 50-50. Oh, is it? Okay. 50-50. So maintenance is half the issues. And as I said, but people need to keep on checking that because if you don't desludge, what happens in the septic tank system, you have a tank that would collect the sewage coming from your house and the wastewater, and then it goes to percolation area. If you don't desludge your tank properly, what will happen is the sludge will carry over into your per- percolation area. and will actually cause a lot of damage to that. And then those pipes will block and then you don't get the proper treatment of your sewage. And then you can start to see ponding happening or it could then leak over to get to a well if you have a well on site and that's when damage starts to occur. So that's why dislodging is very important. But I think if you kind of get a simple message to the household, what I would say to people, number one, test test your well annually. It probably costs 65 euros. I know I got my own well tested this year and my wife and kids were glad to hear that there's no E. coli in our well because I have a septic tank on my own site at home. And I would say to householders, look for the obvious that there's no leaks or ponding on the ground, especially in the winter months around where your septic tank and percolation area is. And also then there's no sewage going to the ditches or streams. So, you know, maybe some pipe, some pipe was put in years ago that does go from a septic tank to a nearby stream. If that's happening, you're causing damage to that nearby stream. And there's a house, there's a responsibility on a householder to actually not cause that and to deal with it. And the last thing is to make sure you do, do your desludging at the appropriate intervals. So it would be fairly obvious then, would it, Noel, if, the, if your septic tank wasn't working properly? It would if, if it's blocked and it's causing ponding or something on the, ground, uh, on, on the surface, so you'd see it then. But you could have something that's actually below the surface. So you could have a crack in a pipework in your septic tank system. As you know, your drinking water well is, is, is also below ground. So actually, you may not see, for the contamination to your drinking water well, you may not see anything on the surface. And it's actually getting into your well. So you will not always see the problem, particularly for a drinking water well on site. That's why we'd say take a sample. You may not see anything on the surface. It's actually percolating down through the soil and it's getting into your pipework that's connected to your well. That's if your septic tank system is not working properly. So you may not see something obvious from the surface. And that's, that's why the need to sample your well is there. OK, somebody wants to know, do you, do you need to clean out your septic tank every year? No, every year is nearly too too big of a frequency. Now, unless you have a massive, very high occupancy in the household. But typically, for the normal size of tanks, they're about three and a half metres cubed, typically in Ireland. And for household size of maybe four to six people, you're looking at an interval of three to five years. Now, the EPA is putting up a ready reckoner kind of guide tool on their website, hopefully towards the end of the year, which will show you if you know the size of your tank, and you know the number of people living in the house, it'll tell you what frequency. But typically it's between anything from three to five years. So like that's not a big expense on a household to keep your system running properly. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's people and, should nearly and do just, that. And just for peace of mind as well. Okay, a listener who doesn't want their name called out, which is fine, says, um, I got a bill for €200 Euro from a guy to come out and service my biocycle septic tank. Call it what you like. I watched what he'd done. He changed a filter that was four inches square. He reset the clock. He could have been in and done in 10 minutes, but he dragged it out for half an hour and then charged me €200. Euro. He said, I should have this done every year. Well, I won't be having it done every year. I live in the countryside. I have my own well and I live alone uh, so it's not like that it's getting the same use as a full house Yeah well there is with the package plants there is a service requirement there on those because you know you do and I don't know this particular circumstance but you do need to check the pumps if there's a filter system you might have to make sure that's working properly so you just have to make sure those plants are working appropriately um, now I don't know particular circumstance but you'd have to look at what the manufacturer requirements are there for the service of these but in a lot of circumstances a lot of households are your basic septic tank going to a percolation area so the level of maintenance is actually low and the sludging is the main thing that has to happen in, in, the, in those situations um, which, which, which you know is, is a low cost 
Hi, uh, Trish says, listener, my neighbour's septic tank stinks to high heaven. It's so bad I don't go out the front of my house. Could that be bad for our health? That's from Molly. Is that a problem with the septic tank if it's smelling that badly? Well, in essence, if you smell it, if, if you have a septic tank that smells and it sounds like something is septic in it, so that, that, that would mean that the sludge might be there a while. So possibly there's a requirement there that that tank should be dislodged. Um, so there might be need to dislodge that tank. You know, it's unusual. If if they're well maintained, you won't tend to. You get shouldn't a smell have from. a smell, no, and not no, that bad. Really. No, it shouldn't be. No, so, um, shouldn't be a smell there. Yeah, Molly, a chat with your neighbour. I'm I'm thinking, and another text in. I have an old system which is working perfectly. The guidelines previously were to keep the grey water separate from the septic tank for the sake of the environment. If I were to now redirect the grey water to the septic tank. What are the consequences regarding the processing of bacteria, etc.? What is the advice if we were to consider going down this route? Yeah, well, grey water is included with the water that can go to your septic tank. So that is, if you look at the manuals and all, the grey water and the sewage does go into your septic tank. So that is okay. And, you know, the level you will have some detergents and stuff that you're using in the house, but that's okay for a normal level that's used in the household. That will not affect bacteria and that, and that will work okay. So unless you're using some very strong detergent for some other reason, um, no, it's okay for them to go into the tank. And the big concern is that your listener there, you know, you have to deal with your grey water. Your grey water can't just go to a water course either. Um, so the best place for it to go is that it joins in with your sewerage and it's all collected and treated in your septic tank as normal. If it's not, if it's not going into your septic tank, where is it going? Okay, Porrick says, uh, Patricia, you shouldn't clean out your tank. The anaerobic bacteria will be taken out. The problem is that the sewerage and dirty water from washing and the sink is going into the tank and that's killing off the bacteria. Do you agree with that? No, I think you, the bacteria, as I say, if you have the normal load come from the household, um, that would work fine in the septic tank. And what happens then, what is the process in essence? It, you, you like Obviously, the, your, your sewage coming from your house, there's a mixture of solid faeces and urine fraction the solids will settle out and in a typical septic tank system there's limited breakdown really by the bacteria the solids collect in the bottom of it and there will be some anaerobic if you like without oxygen breakdown in that but it's really collecting the solids where the really breakdown of the bacteria that all occurs at the percolation area so when that moves on from your tank to the percolation area that's where the bacteria break down um the if you like the pollutants that are in your your septic tank but the solids do collect in it they do have to be removed as I say at an interval of three to five years and that's when they need to be removed and that's the dislodging you're talking about yeah, isn't it yeah that's the dislodging yeah and there's, yeah. there'll be a list on the local authority website of people who are authorised to do that is that important um, that you go with somebody who's authorised that you, that you're, you're, you have to by law do you, you have okay. to take a risk now a farmer can spread their own on their own land um, so, uh, but there is regulations for them to follow there in relation to that. But everyone else has to actually get a registered contact contractor to take. Well, it. it's interesting that you mentioned farmers spreading their own because the listener says, Patricia, I knew a farmer back in the day that drained the black grey water off the septic tank and then spread it onto its onto his own fields. Is that not now illegal? No, that's there's there's. Uh, sewage sludge regs, regs in agriculture so he's actually allowed to do that but there's restrictions on him then on what he can do with the field he puts it on you know he, he can't graze it for maybe six months there's, there's all restrictions in that law there what he has to follow when he spreads it on his own land but relatively again look at one tanker that has to be emptied by a farmer if he's following the same practices like everyone else living in a house it only has to be done every three to five years and it won't be a big volume okay. so you know it could be on a tillage field and he ploughs it in but there is um, regulations he has to follow 
and everyone else has to get a registered contractor to take it. Okay, you mentioned earlier about it's it's good advice to get your water tested in in your well. Brendan Imallo says, uh, "What would Noel suggest? Where would Noel suggest is the best place to go to get your well water tested?" A lot of the people I see advertised are trying to get you to have a filter fit it, so it's in their interest to have the results a certain way. Well, I'd say to anybody, go to an accredited lab. Um, and there's a number of those around the country. I imagine your local authority would tell you what's the ones that are close there in Cork um, that you can actually go. There would be there would be a number of them in Cork. Who um, are not trying to sell you anything else. They're just there to test your water. They can just do tests. There will just labs specifically there that okay. will test your water. And, and that's a great thing to do. And it's, it's a huge reassurance to any household. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll take a look and see if we can get a list of of some local places uh, for for people to check. Okay. How often are septic tanks inspected? Uh, the the report you were talking about the the two hundred and uh, the two thousand inspections they were conducted by the local authority, were they? Yeah, in twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. So approximately every year there's a thousand inspections. Um, completed. So it, it's relatively low, you know, it's less than 1% of all the septic tanks in the country. So the inspections, you know, if you like, it's part of the picture here. But again, what we'd like to see is we'd like to see householders saying, look, I need to do this for my own interests, for my own health and for the environment. So that's why you need to do it. So like you could argue, should we have more inspections? But at the same time, say, look, that's not necessarily always the answer. The stick is not the answer. It's mm. bring people along with you and say, look, let's go get this fixed for our own sake for our local streams and rivers that our kids could be paddling in or whatever or the water we're drinking let's get it fixed for the need that we do and there is there is an expanded grant scheme coming now Patricia which will be of interest to your listeners The so if you have a, if you like a malfunctioning septic tank so not for maintenance issues but nearly more so for construction issues um, and so there is an existing grant scheme at the moment and the, the maximum grant was €4,000 that's gone up to €5,000 now right. in the new grant scheme in the old grant scheme as well the, there was a, a means test on it and mm. if your household income was above €50,000 there was restrictions in the amount of grant you got now there's no means test in the new grant scheme so if your household income is above 50000 you're not restricted in the amount of grant you can get up to €5,000 um, but that that grant scheme is not available at the moment. It's going to be launched hopefully later in 2019. So it will be launched this year. Um, so just if your listeners have a problem in the septic tank, at that point, then they can contact the local authority to see if they're eligible for the grant. So there will be some, obviously, other criteria in the grant scheme there. Um, but grants, is, grants are a great way to get people to, to get work done. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there will be, with the grant scheme, it is, as I mentioned, these water courses that are affected earlier. There is That grant is tied towards the areas where there's improvements needed in the water quality, which which makes sense. So your target, your priority areas say, look, here's where if we problem the tanks in the area, these are the ones we want to get fixed first. Okay. So there will be certain other criteria around it, but it is good to see, number one, the amount of money has gone up. Number two, actually, the mean tests, means test is removed from it. And it, it varies. Like, for anyone, depends on the scale of a problem you have on a site, but it could vary from relatively small money, maybe less than a thousand euro. But if you have a major problem to fix, it could be up to ten thousand. Wow, wow. So uh, there's a big variation, but depends how bad it is. But if you're at that scale of a problem, it really is in your interest to get fixed and indeed for the environment and your, your health and your family's health. Talking of the environment, a listener says, What about the raw sewerage that's flowing straight into the sea? What's been done about that? Yeah, um, they're not wrong. Um, there is raw sewage there, as you know, we've highlighted in our, in our recent EPA reports there for the past number of years um, that Irish Water have 
37 areas around the country now um, where there's still raw sewage discharging into, into the receiving water. A number of those areas are down in Cork. Actually, have a number there now, Castletown Bear, um, Castletown's End, just to, just to name a couple of them. Um, and sure, even Cove there at the moment is still, yeah. you know, they're waiting to be connected to the main Cork team. We, we've hired those. We have, there is a plan that Irish Water have given us to say, look, yes, they're going to deliver these by certain dates. In some cases, there have been slippages in those dates. We have prosecuted Irish Water for failing to deliver them. Um, Castletown Bear, they were in court last year down and Castletown's end. So we are keeping a strong line with Irish Water. Um, to indeed, look at, there are these places around the country, beautiful places indeed, in, indeed in Cork, and they need to be fixed. And we want to see them fixed. And in this day and age, you know, we're a first world economy. There should be no situation where you've raw sewage going into the receiving environment. Um, so look at that. There is a plan there for that. And as they were keeping the pressure on Irish Water to deliver on that plan. OK, and a final one from Paddy. I'd be interested to see how you'll answer this, uh, Noel. Uh, Patricia, my septic tank is perfect. I haven't cleaned it in 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Does he know that? Again, it's, you see, there's a challenge there in that situation. There has to be sludge building up in it, unless he's not like it might take. If he's a very small household occupancy, it could take longer than the five years. If maybe if he's on his own or whatever the situation, but ultimately that that's going someplace. And the big treatment part of a septic tank system is the percolation area. So what kind of percolation area is he going to? Yeah. Is it going to someplace that's actually just filtering down into the groundwater? And is that affecting the groundwater in the proximity of where he's living? Um, so he he doesn't know that he can't actually see that. Um, so people have to look at their own situation and say, God, you know, is there a necessity to do something here? But again, it comes back to look at what's the number of people living in the household, what's the need to um, dislodge it, and, and there will be a need to dislodge it. You know, I'll be now unless you have some situation where there's such a, such a tiny load, it takes a long time for that volume to build up. Um, but every tank does need to be emptied at some stage you know, All right. Right. Oh, it yeah. absolutely does and three oh. to five years is the best guide it could be a bit longer again if you've reduced the number of people in the household but we will have a guide on our website at the end of the year to say look okay. if you're this much people living in the house this is the frequency you should dislodge at OK we will uh, hopefully speak again and a couple of people have been on to say that there's a facility in St Finbar's Hospital where you can go and get your water uh, tested it's located in the grounds of St Finbar's Hospital OK no, we leave it there. Thank you for that. No and worries. thanks for joining us on the programme. Okay. Good morning to you. That is uh, Noel Byrne, who is a senior scientist with the Environmental Protection Agency. And I've just been told that the Seabourn Quest l- cruise liner has docked in Bantry and it's there until 6pm today. I'm going to Bandongar, the station where I'm joined by Sergeant James O'Donovan for this week's uh, Gar the File. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and I'm very well. And we start with some burglaries and you're looking to see if anybody might have seen anything uh, suspicious, uh, starting with Alyssa Groom, Cross Barry? Yes, the, on the Monday the 24th of June last day in the Alyssa Groom area of Cross Barry, between 7am and 4pm, which is quite a, um, a wide time span really, we're looking for uh, information if anyone saw anyone acting suspicious around the Alyssa Groom area in towards Cross Barry Village to contact the Gardaí in Bandon. Again, as I said at the outset there, it's a fairly wide time span from 7am to 4pm, but Again, as I've said in previous shows, people would would notice um, uh, people from outside the community in the in or around the area are a suspicious car that they mightn't feel that would be from the locality. Yeah, because r- rural, rural areas, they know everybody in the they, area. They know everyone in the area. I know that Crossberry is a busy road, yeah. but it might it might stand out for someone to just to ring the guard station. Any information at all would be very helpful. 
Okay, and a few days later, an incident in Lizarda. Uh, yes, the Cora Clock area of Lizarda on the 28th of June at 9.30am in the morning. Um, now, this was uh, quite the opposite. The person here from this house was only gone for 20 minutes, and when they came back, the house was after being burgled. Oh. I suppose he was very unfortunate from the point of view that these are travelling criminals, we believe, that are going around West Cork and our own Cork County as well, and they're opportunistic people that when they see people leaving, they just take a quick gander and go and have a look around. Now, we we were lucky, I suppose, that there was only damage and something small taken, but again, we're acting for we're asking for anyone that had seen anything suspicious around the Cora Clock area there on the 28th of June, which would have been a Friday morning to contact us at McCroom Guard Station. Friday, just Friday last, uh, yes. yesterday week, um, tomorrow week. And then uh, next to Ballinhasic. Yes, uh, Goggins Hill area of Ballinhasic last Sunday. I suppose this is a unique one, Patricia. This happened during mass time. Ah, oh, I hate these and times. Again, it's tied up to the, the next topic I'll be covering there in a minute. Um, unfortunately, I suppose this this house is particularly close to the church up there in Goggins Hill and the, we feel that they were actually targeting something else and took the opportunity when they saw a person going to uh, Mass and um, obviously went into the house and were looking for any information. Uh, I suppose if anyone knows the Goggins Hill area of Benahasic, they'd know that the car park to the church is across the road. Mm. At that same time, there was a, and it's in my next topic, there was a wallet taken from a car in the church car park. Do you think they're linked? Sorry? Do you think they're linked? Look, there's a good possibility. I suppose that that the persons that were targeting these car parks, they mm. have been travelling around West Cork um, in the last number of weeks. And we're asking people to be mindful of their property and their cars. But uh, unfortunately, last Sunday, they must have been very opportunistic and very lucky to observe the person going to Mass. And they committed that burglary then as well when that person was at Mass. It's bad enough at any time, but when you're going to Mass and come ah, home... It's and horrible. It, it's, it's just... It's a horrible feeling for those the people. meanest, meanest thing, it really is. So there would have been a car involved as well that would have been parked up in this um, car park from for the church for the Mass time. And I suppose, like, country areas, everyone knows everyone going to Mass on a Sunday morning. Yeah. So if anyone at all might have seen any car or anyone that was sitting in a car prior to Mass, just to contact here, us here in Banding Air Station, no matter how minute you think it is, that it, it, it might have been uh, a D-Ridge car or a G-Ridge car or something out of sorts that would come to mind. Contact us here in Banding Air Station. Yeah, somebody, somebody late going into Mass, you know, the yes. last one in, might just have spotted something. Might just something. have spotted something. Okay, so and that was last, that last, was last Sunday, Sunday in Band- on, on the 30th of June. Okay. Um, I suppose in relation to the theft of that wallet from that car, we've... We had two other incidents then uh, as well of theft from cars. Um, again, there was a, a car in Mill Street on the 20th of June and there was two handbags taken from a car. And again in Glengarriff there in the last number of weeks, we had a, um, a handbag taken from a car there as well. And I suppose this comes back to our, our crime prevention advice. We're with the last number of years advocating to people do not leave property in the back seat of cars or in the front footwell or anywhere that is visible to these travelling gangs. These travelling gangs are opportunistic. They know it's the summer season. They know there's people out there enjoying themselves and they're going to all these holiday spots, especially the one in Glengariff there, down by the woods. There was a person gone for a walk and when they came back, their their handbag was taken from the car. Uh, So, look, again, we're asking for people just to be very mindful, and at this stage now, they should nearly be conscious of it. Put the stuff in the boot of the car, out of sight, out of mind, so to speak. It's a case of that, if they're visible, 
they're a target for these travelling mm. criminals. And I know that you've been advocating, along with ourselves, Patricia, that we're saying it for the last number of years, and we'll keep saying it, we keep reminding people because it's just about creating that awareness. Yeah, I always kind of think if you're going for a walk, plan in advance and think, okay, well, do, do I need to have my bag with me? Do I need to have my wallet with me at all? You know, if you need money to get an ice cream on you're, the way. You're, just, you're the exact same with me, Patricia. Yeah, just bring the I'm money with you. I'm living in West Cork and I go for walks as well myself and I don't take anything in the Yeah, car. yeah. And if you end up in a situation where you are going off for a walk and you've, you've a bag with you, bring it with you. Exactly. Bring it with you. Yeah, bring it with you and yeah. just keep... Don't let it inside our full yeah. view when it's inside the car. Because it's just, it's horrible because on top of your items have been stolen, you also have the inconvenience of getting the car, the window in the car exactly. um, fixed. damage as well and I suppose that's the, that's probably the most awkward thing to get fixed. You can cancel cards over the phone but when you have a window broken you yeah. have to book it into a garage and, and it's inconvenience you down the line in two or three days time and you, you could be without a car for a day then as well. Now yesterday on our news we were running the, the story of the house fire in Belgooli. You were looking for any witnesses. Yes, uh, this house fire happened there last Tuesday at approximately 10.45pm. We're appealing for witnesses in the Belgooli area um, that might have seen anything at all suspicious to contact the Gardaí in Kinsale or abandoned Garda station. Uh, luckily, there was no one in the house at the time, but there was considerable amount of damage done to um, uh, houses at either side of it. So, again, we'd be, we would be very grateful to members of the public if they saw anyone acting suspicious around the Belgooli area there on Tuesday night. Okay, and we're right in the middle of the holiday season and lots of people are planning and are going away or been away or there's holidays to come. Uh, advice on the, on social media about not yes. letting the world know that your house is empty. And, and look, I suppose years ago we would have been telling people to cancel the newspaper and cancel the post and the milk boxes. Yeah. But life has changed and everyone's on social media now. And we've all seen friends that have put up the post above a Cork airport or Dublin airport having a beer off for two weeks to... Italy or Spain, you're basically telling the world that you're leaving your home. Mm. We're asking people to don't be doing that. Obviously, you, we're not telling them that they can't take photos, photographs, but don't be putting it up on social media advocating or telling people that they're away for two weeks and they won't be back for three weeks at work. And the privacy settings as well, Patricia, are very important. A lot of people are abroad, they're putting up photographs um, of maybe the inside a restaurant or having a dinner and the privacy settings our location is on and it's coming up in Spain or France wherever they're holding and basically if the privacy settings and the location settings aren't turned off on your social media you're again giving I suppose the world the right to look into your social media posts and know that you're away and we're, I suppose we're telling people to be mindful of this in case there is uh, activity being looked at there from the criminal side of things. If you want to post your photographs, wait till you come back. Exactly. And then yeah, and then, and then you can put it up. And uh, you also um, want to talk about road traffic collisions? Yes, we've, uh, I suppose, look, this was just, just touched on here recently. In the last number of weeks, we've had a number of road traffic collisions and whereas we've been testing for alcohol and uh, under the influence of, of the intoxicants such as drugs and stuff, they these people have been coming back as positive so we've seen a slight increase in it, not much, but we just want to remind people, look, obviously it is holiday season and people want to go to enjoy themselves, but plan your, your day out. You know, get your designated driver, organise taxis, don't be caught that you're going to have a couple of drinks and be involved in a traffic collision because it can have detrimental effect both on you and on the people that you crash into down the line. So again, look, uh, everyone knows that 
we can't drink and drive and we can't take we can't drive under the influence of a, a intoxicants now so uh, we just wanted to put that reminder out there for people just to remind them okay and uh, finally some fraud advice in relation to purchasing items online yes there was a number of incidents again this week obviously we can't go into too much information about that but i just want to remind people just to be vigilant when they're buying items on classified ads. We have a large amount of classified ads online now, which we have great access to with the internet. But, you know, people are buying cars, they're buying tractors, they're buying tickets, they're buying machinery, and they're handing over cash without even seeing the product. What we're asking people is, be very careful of who you're dealing with. If you're buying a vehicle or a tractor or machinery, go and have a look at the actual uh, piece of machinery first. You're, you're basically handing over cash for the instance that we're dealing with looking at a picture and anyone can put up a picture and say I'm selling this and they're asking for money to be uh, put into an account that account is closed straight away or um, a postal order and there is no property being returned for the purchase of that goods so we're just asking people to be mindful yes there is some genuine people on those classified sites that are selling property but for the but not everyone is trustworthy that's the problem yes and I suppose people so the way I would look at it is, Patricia, if it's too good to be true, it they probably is, it. you know what I mean, yeah. from the point of view that there might be something suspicious about it. Um, and in relation to that, we just want people to be mindful of when they're handing over their cash online. OK, we've got a wonderful weekend weather-wise, so the sun is certainly going to be shining on Sunday, which is good news uh, good, for everybody in Court Mark Sherry. Good news for Sherry yeah. in the Strand Race there on this Sunday, the 7th of July. We're just asking people to be mindful if they're going down there to adhere to all the marshals and uh, any diversions that be in place. And Balanskarty Festival is also on this week, from finishing on Sunday. And just for ask people to particularly slow down this week, go even more going through that village because, because we all busy on the main road and they would be packed there'll be children crossing over to various events and the fun fair and all that kind of stuff and I suppose we just want people to just be mindful when they're going through that village and on a final note I just want to wish everyone a happy summer and enjoy the good weather and be safe Okay, thanks for that James and the same to you thanks for joining us Thank you Good morning to you that is Sergeant James O'Donovan at Bandingard Estate You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed let me, in the meantime, take a look at some of your calls and comments coming into the programme. First, a quick plug for something that's happening this evening. Um, Kilanto Suluan from Clonakilty telling me that there is a free public historical lecture entitled The Manchester Martyrs and the West Cork Connection. It's been organised by Dukas Clonakilty Heritage Group. It's taking place this evening and it is at half past eight. It's in the Clonakilty Parish Centre. Bob Bateman, who's an Irish-American who has an ancestor involved in the 1867 incident, will be delivering the lecture and all are very welcome. Okay, and for the day that's in it, for the 4th of July and all that, nice to have an Irish-American delivering that address this evening. So that is in Clonakilty tonight, the parish centre and that is at half past eight if you want to go along uh, to that please do uh, 1850 I should actually have done this shouldn't I when I when I was giving you the cue to text text or WhatsApp now to win your way in to live at the marquee 086 103 103. Need to make sure I'm hitting the right buttons. Okay, get texting and we'll leave it for about 10 minutes. But it's two people today. There are two winners today because it is the final free ticket Thursday. And on this show, we've been very kindly given two tickets to go along and for 
two pairs of tickets to go along and see Hall & Oates so we'll go for two winners today. Now can I take a look at some other calls and comments that are coming in to us. Oh on on the Leo Varadkar having a go with Michal Martin and the spat that the two of them had yesterday and Leo Varadkar in particular upsetting a number of people with Eamon Blarney saying so childish and insulting to all comments when Leo Varadkar turned on Michal Martin and said, I quote, he kind of reminds me of one of those parish priests who preaches from the altar telling us to avoid sin while secretly going behind the altar and engaging in any amount of sin himself. A lot of people very annoyed by that uh, comment. Let me give you some of them. The Antishak Lear of Radker was sad to have to lower himself to that level uh, and insult the good clergy we have in particularly in the West Cork area. Shame on him. And that comes in from somebody who signs themselves as a practising Catholic. Hi Patricia, on the schoolboy bickering going on in the Dáil, to be honest, there is no place in society where stooping to insults should be acceptable. When you have to do that, you know you've already lost the argument. Did we in the Republic really fight and sustain such loss just to have government officials disguised as grown-ups behaving like this, running the country we gave so much for? Grow up is the message from this particular texter to 0862 103 103. And then John Paul was in on dated with calls when I mentioned it in the last hour. Some of the calls in John and Cove. Uh, this is all a setup. what happens in the doll or well, what we get to see on the TV screens. They're all friends outside of this. If you ever are in the doll bar or anywhere in the building outside of the chamber itself, they're all getting on behind the scenes. So it's one big act says John in Cove. I don't know if a lot of the political parties would agree with that when, when they're out trying to get voted in uh, John. Uh, but yeah, I accept that obviously they do get on. They're all working together. They must get on on some level. Marion Kinsale says, I thought it was the worst thing I've ever read and seen. So childish, especially from a man in his position. Shame on Leo Varadkar. Mary in Mallow, it shows how stupid our, how stupid our government are if they keep offending Catholics. It is free reign to mock Catholics in this country. We can't have a statue or any other religious icon in any public building. It's just awful. And to hear Atishik speak like this, he should realise a lot of Catholics vote for the Fine Gael party. Karen in Carrigaline says, I don't go to Mass, but I do still have faith. I say my prayers, etc. But I feel as a country with a Catholic heritage, it was a very ill thought out comment on behalf of the Taoiseach to make this remark. He offended so many people when he said it. James in Brewery says there is a lot of arrogance going on. I feel Leo is, as a person, arrogant. But I feel the Count Corla should put the Taoiseach in his place and he doesn't appear to do it. He should have said something yesterday. This is the Count Corla. I feel it's becoming more and more of a boys club with so much poverty going on in this country. Then we have all this going on in the doll. It doesn't look like anybody's doing the work that they should be uh, doing. 
Daniel Indamamwe says, I felt it was very hurtful to me and to others as a practising Catholic. He's supposed to represent every all religions and none. So therefore he should be re- representing all of us. So if this is what the doll has come to, is it not a sad day for this country? OK, that's just a sample of some of the calls and texts that were in. And can I say there was another comment that came out yesterday from a politician that very much annoyed me. And and it was the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan. And I have to say, it isn't often that I'd get offended by a Green Party TD or councillor. But I was jolly annoyed with Eamon Ryan yesterday. There were, was a discussion going on about the National Broadband Plan. And Eamon Ryan stood up and said that the National Broadband, this is the Rural Broadband screen, Scheme, Will be is un was giving unfair advantage to people in rural areas, and I was thinking, what's this man talking about? And he said, and I quote, "We are giving a better deal to rural Ireland than to my constituents," says the TD. His constituents being the good people of Dublin Bay South. He also said it would be rewarding planning sprawl was the words he used. Now, I was delighted to see it was an Oireachtas uh, Committee discussion on, on broadband. I was delighted to see that somebody stood up for rural Ireland in the form of a cavern-based Fine Gael Senator, Joe O'Reilly. He ch- turned straight away on his heels to him and Ryan said, well, hang on now, a tick. Uh, those people in Dublin have the Lewis, the Dart, buses, the in- and the entire infrastructure. He said, the people that were I represent in Cavan, and I think he speaks on behalf of all rural Ireland, they deserve infrastructure as well. And the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan, quick as you like, responded with, don't you have the N2 and the N3, preferring to the national roads that pass through uh, Cavan and, and through the constituency. Uh, yeah, that's roads, Eamon, where they're entitled to, uh, to roads. But that, uh, that really annoyed me that you would have a Dublin-based TD where they have all of the best infrastructure could actually stand up and say that the National Broadband, the part of the, why he's not in favour of the National Broadband plan is that it's unfairly, it's giving an unfair advantage uh, to rural homes because they'll be getting a better deal than the constituents in, in Dublin. I, as I say, I was really, really annoyed by that yesterday. Has my rant over. 1850 James in Cloyne, this is back to on posts and delays in letters, etc. We are all paying a lot for our post now when at times it's not arriving. Well, it's the cost of stamps, I take it. Uh, when at times it's not arriving. So James in Cloyne decided to do a little bit of a test recently. He put in an old scratch card. Now it was a scratch scratch card. Put it in, into an envelope. But he marked cash. He wrote somewhere on the envelope cash as if like there's cash in this envelope. And then, and then he posted it to himself. And it came back. It did arrive, but it came back, he said, with sellotape on the envelope. He said he never put sellotape on the envelope. So he wants to know who opened the post to check what was inside. By the way, the unused scratch card was still, I take it, inside in the in the envelope. But he wanted to know who, who opened it and where did the sellotape, because he said he didn't put sellotape uh, on it. Whoa. I don't know how long the letter took to actually come, but... Uh, he was quite taken aback uh, with that. Uh, 1850 um, John Paul taking your cause. We are looking, please, for 
pet questions because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us. So if you have a pet question, you can get it into uh, John Paul or you can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Always encouraging people to please give blood and if you are in the Mallow area then uh, please donate the Blood Transfusion Service Board. They've got donor clinics today in the Cork Race Course Mallow 3 to 5 this afternoon and 7 to 9 tonight. Kildallery Community Development, they've got their lotto draw. That's in Ollie's Bar. That's tonight with a jackpot of €1,800. Derry Claw National School is now open for enrolments for this September. Contact the school 028-303-28 if you would like to arrange a visit. Ballinhasic Community Development have got a fundraising social dance. It's in the Marion Hall tomorrow night, dancing to Dermot Lines from 9.45. And Tharish Jock, the charity shop in Dunmanway, they're still looking for donations of used adult size football boots. It's wanted by a group undertaking volunteer work in Sri Lanka. The boots can be dropped into Seamus at the Tharish Jock charity shop and that is in Dunmanway. And as we spoke about yesterday, a reminder to you that the Clonakilty Old Time Fair is on this Saturday with vintage cars and machinery, art and craft demonstrations and it incorporates the 40th South of Ireland Band Championships. Streets will be pedestrianised all day and it's described as a great day out for all the family. You can stop texting and WhatsApping on our Hall and Oats competition because we have selected two winners. I'm going firstly to Noreen O'Shea in uh, Mallow. Good afternoon to you, Noreen. Good afternoon, Trisha. Uh, on a sunny, a sunny afternoon. Beautiful afternoon. Isn't it glorious? Would you like to go see Hall and Oats next I'd, Monday night? I'd love to. Okay, a quick question for you that relates to Live at the Marquee. Who is playing Live at the Marquee on Sunday? Is it David Gray or Elton John? David Gray. It is David Gray. That means you have won a pair of tickets to Hall and Oats Live in the Marquee on Monday. Do you know who you will bring with you? Yeah. Who? A friend of mine. Okay. <laughs> and you like Hall and Oats, you do? I do. I love them. They're okay. brilliant. Okay. Well, enjoy the gig, okay? Thanks very much. Okay, God bless. Take care. Let me go from Mallow to Ballynoe where Mary Lane uh, is on the other line. Good afternoon, Mary. Good afternoon, Patricia. Is it beautiful in Ballynoe today? It's sunny, shining, beautiful. Is it? Great. And And are you getting out in the garden? Getting out in the sun, yeah. Good. Okay, quick. You have a busy house there, have you? I have. I have a small little one here. <laughs> okay, quick question for you. We need you yeah. to finish this Hall and Oates lyric. She's a man. Is it eater or drinker? She's a man, eater, or man drinker. Uh, mad. God, pick the wrong one, Jola. She's uh, a man, uh, eater, man. Eater, it is a man eater, a well known Hall and Oates song. Okay, oh, you couldn't hear me properly. I said, Oh, there's a very upset child in the background. Okay, you've won, you've won a pair of tickets, we'll get them to you, all right? Thanks. Okay, bye bye. Let's you back to the child. Bye bye. God bless. Mary Lane, Batty No, and Noreen O'Shea in Amalo. Of each one on our final day today, live at the Marquina. We've more tickets to give away this afternoon. Nick will be giving them away after. 
after one, uh, between one and four today. And then Martina gives uh, some tickets away after four o'clock uh, as well. Uh, so, but well done to our final winners today on this programme for Hall and & Oates and Noreen O'Shea and Mary Lane. OK, uh, this is, where am I going with, oh, this was... We had received a number of calls yesterday morning, I think this was, from listeners unhappy with, oh, it wasn't yesterday morning, I'm just looking at the date, this was actually last month, uh, with a number of listeners who were unhappy with the road surface on the Glengariff Road in Bantry. So we sent an email off to Cork County Council to say, could you take a look at this road for us, please? Could you check it out and let us know? revert back to us and let us know what's going on uh, with it because one caller had actually said the mud was coming up in part of the road was how it was being uh, described. So it was the road service on the Glengariff Road in Bantry and that email went off on the 18th of June and we got a reply yesterday on the 3rd of uh, July and it says Cork County Council intend to advance a project for the strengthening and resurfacing of the Glengariff Road in Bantry and the installation of a new water main on behalf of Irish Water storm water drainage new footpaths and curbs and roadside drainage works so that's terrific absolutely great news and before people get very excited in that area the council's intention is to tender for the project in the Q4 so the final three months of this year and then they're expecting construction to be in 2020. Now they don't say if it's going to be Q1, Q2, Q3 or Q4 of 2020 but sometime next year. But just to let the listeners who contacted us last month know they are, there, there is a plan in place but it's going to be uh, sometime there's certainly going to be another winter period uh, where that road, uh, the, the road surface is going to remain uh, as is. That's the Glengariff Road into uh, Bantry. Henry in Clannacilty has been on saying the courts are paying out way too much on claims. Surely, says Henry, the personal responsibility must come into a decision when awarding compensation. And the example he wants to use is a case that surfaced this week. And this kind of ties in with what we, well, it doesn't tie in. It's a, it's a, it's a separate issue. But we were talking about compensation yesterday uh, with regard to that woman who went into a restaurant and took a piece of glass out of her top and put it into her mouth and you could clearly see her on the camera taking it out and looking around to make sure none of the staff were seeing her and then letting on that it was in her dinner and you know obviously she was she was with a, a claim in mind now luckily they had CCTV and when they showed her the CCTV she she left well the guards were called but she, the, what, what I think what annoyed a lot of people when we discussed that on the programme yesterday was there was no uh, the guards couldn't do anything because she hadn't broken any law I mean something that really needs to be looked at but if she had gone to court you could imagine the compensation she would have received for having got glass inside in her mouth now even though she wasn't cut or anything but the case that Henry in Clonakilty uh, is alluding to is the you know, now she's a 16 year old girl now she was 12 at the time that it happened this was the girl who suffered what was described now as, as serious burns and, and nobody wants to get a burn particularly a 12 year old uh, girl but it was an incident that happened in a Starbucks in Dublin it was on Henry Street in uh, Dublin and it happened back in 2014 and this week she received €85,000 in compensation and Henry feels that amount of money was huge considering what the girl went through and what he's talking about 
what about personal responsibility? Now, what seemingly happened was back when she's 16 now, so back when she was 12 in 2014, she was out with her, her granny coming up to Christmas Christmas week and they caught they were doing some shopping I imagine they went into Henry Street in the Starbucks in Henry Street in Dublin and the 12 year old girl went up to the counter and she bought a cup of tea she bought a large cookie and she bought a frappuccino now she carried the frappuccino in her left hand and she carried the large cookie in her right hand but then she put the cup of tea into the crook of her arm now you know the way if you go into any coffee shop like that like Starbucks or any of those large coffee places they're you know they're the cardboard cups is is what they are so you can imagine that inside in the in the crook of her arm and then obviously she was walking away and as she was walking away the top of the teacup shot off and then this young girl received significant burns and scarring on her uh, forearm now seemingly the staff were fantastic they arrived straight away and um, did everything that they needed to do you know they applied a spray uh, to treat the burns now there's a bit of a dispute about it because Starbucks say that they have a rule that they would always give children who are carrying hot drinks they would never allow them to carry hot drinks without a tray the family were saying that the young, the 12-year-old girl wasn't offered a tray and that's why they were in court. Anyway, she wound up in Temple Street Children's Hospital in the emergency department. Her wounds were treated and addressed. She required repeated visits to the plastics clinic at the hospital. She also had to attend occupational therapy. She has been left with what has been described by her solicitor as significant scarring on her right forearm which was smooth but obvious and would be permanent. Her plastic surgeon had said he wouldn't attempt to do any more uh, to minimise the scarring because he was he was terrified he was going to make it worse. She now has to be careful with the clothes she wears and in particular she always has to wear long sleeves when she's out in the sun. I imagine they're fearful of any sun damage to a scar like that. She was described as a very brave girl who had taken a pragmatic approach to the injury, to the injuries. But she was well. It was her mum was uh, in court, suing on her behalf. So then over to the judge to decide how much money is this young girl going to get. The judge took a look at the book of quantum, and the book of quantum sets out how much should somebody get for breaking an ankle, losing an eye, you know, whatever, whatever the inju- the injury is. The book of quantum. The guide is between 75,000 and 90,000. That's in damages for scarring. Now, this girl's arm is scarred. Scar wasn't on her face. So the, oh, actually, sorry, I'm wrong saying it went to the judge. It didn't. It was the solicitor was talking about the book of quantum. The solicitor then said that he believed 85,000 plus this young girl's legal costs. That would be fine. So that was offered by the defendant and the defendant said, Everybody said, fair amount, we'll take that. So the judge then, all he had to do was the approve the settlement and he approved it, saying it was in the best interest of the child and, and he was happy and that everyone should accept it. And they did. And the money now gets paid into court until this young girl uh, reaches the age of uh, 18. And I mean, it's, what happened to her was awful and nobody would want a scalding hot cup of tea over your arm and nobody would want to be scarred for the rest of your life. But Henry's issue is... um. Where does responsibility come into it? Now, seemingly this was settled in that it didn't go before a full court. And the reason that they decided to settle was that they accepted that if it did go to court, that she would have been between 20 and 25% responsible 
for the accident. So whether that meant she would have got less money, I don't know. But everyone's, everyone is accepting that. But is it the book of quantum needs to be looked at? Now, I mean, if somebody ends up with a, with a really bad scar on their face, you would accept that that could you know, come against them for the rest of their life, maybe in getting a job or the type of job that they did. And I could accept why you would get a much higher compensation for that. But, you know, 85,000, while the family are happy to take the money and, you know, their, their, and all of their, their costs, does it seem excessive for a burn on the forearm? Well, at the end of the day, the shop are saying they offered a tray. She's saying they didn't offer a tray. So I suppose... That's that, that's a, a, a dispute in itself. But the fact that the 12-year-old girl put it into the cro- crock of her arm or would you see it when she was too young? Like you or I, any adult would know, wouldn't you? That if you were picking up a hot drink while carrying another hot drink and a large cookie that you wouldn't put a cup and particularly a cup that's made out of, you know, a cardboard in the crook of your arm because as you walk away anyone to push off you if you put any kind of pressure on, on you which I imagine was what happened she must have slightly pushed in her arm which then popped the lid to come off and then the hot tea all uh, over anyway Henry says too much uh, we need to take responsibility must come into this you, people need to accept that when accidents ha- happen how much of the accident was their own responsibility 1850 pet questions please I can see some of them coming in keep them coming and Anthony is on this is on Leo Varadkar and what Leo Varadkar said to Michal Martin yesterday Leo Varadkar is a very smug individual says our Anthony if he has a gripe with Michal Martin he should not antagonise it with a third party this man was voted in as Fine Gael leader and this gives him the job as leader of the country which is something Anthony uh, says I feel he certainly is not up to. So people still very much annoyed uh, with the comments from Leo Varadkar uh, yesterday. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Jane Pickett, our resident uh, vet at the um, Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, is with me in the studio. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Hi there. And beautiful weather again. And I know we spoke about this last week. A reminder, look after the pets. They, mm. they feel the heat as well. Absolutely. I think the temperatures are only really set to rise as far as I've heard. So I think be particularly cautious. Just make sure that you're, you know, keeping them out of the sun. Give them plenty of opportunities for shade. Make sure they have absolutely loads of water. Because like ourselves, we always drink more water in the hot weather it's exactly the same for our dogs and cats um, and I suppose another thing or another word to the wise is it's not just the dogs and cats it's the other let's say small furries like you might have a rabbit in the back garden or the guinea pigs make sure they have plenty of shade and comfort and places to go out of the heat um, and I suppose the word to the wise is make sure they don't stay in hot cars um, a dog or a cat trapped in a car for even a few minutes can be disastrous mm. so just make sure you don't leave them unattended Okay somebody wants to know how do you know that your dog is drinking enough in the, in the water warm weather is there a set amount mm, so yes there is, is. There? Well, yeah I suppose there's a normal amount really I suppose if, if you want to get all technical about it it's um, based on their body weight and it's a few mils for every kilo of body weight they have in, in an hour essentially which is not something we practically need to calculate at home Now, what I would say is as long as your dog is bright, happy, well and drinking normally and it's, let's say, a change in drinking associated with the hot weather, 
then I would say don't worry about it. They're yeah. going to be keeping themselves hydrated. I think the most important thing is not to stress about the amount in this hot weather, but just to make sure that they have ample opportunity to drink at various points, particularly when they're out on walks as well. Just maybe bring a bottle of water in one of those little dishes with you just to make sure they have a moment to take a pit stop and, and have a little drink. I wouldn't stress about the amount. Um, dogs are very, very good, provided they're fit and healthy in monitoring they know their when own they're hydration. Thirsty, oh, yeah. they know when they're thirsty, yeah. exactly. And they'll they'll want to they'll want to keep themselves well hydrated and as long as you give them the opportunity to with lots of fresh water they'll be more than fine Okay and staying on on drinking Maura says has Jane ever come across a cat that will only drink out of running when a running tap Mm. uh, I've put cat you tried all different types of bowls she refuses point blank uh, the tap it's out of the flow of yes. water that is that is common well it, I don't know it's very common yeah. but it is it does happen it does happen um, cats are very interesting in their behaviours sometimes and for one reason or another they can get particularly fixated on running water now this would be the rarity but it's it's not nothing abnormal behaviourally it's mm. just their preference really it's like us having our fav- favourite teacup to drink out of you know what I yeah. mean the tea always tastes better Um what I would say is there is an easy solution to this. Now, okay. you can't leave your tap dripping the whole time. Yeah, that's it. Because that's going to waste a load of water. But you can actually get water fountains for cats. That for that very reason. Exactly. For that yeah. very reason. That will keep the water chilled and also circulated around. So you're not wasting water because it's not going down the sink, as it were. Yeah, but it's, it's nicely just... circulated around. And as long as you refill it and keep it nice and fresh, um, it just whizzes the water around, gives them a gentle little stream that they can drink from. Awesome. Um, they'll keep themselves well yeah, hydrated. I, I remember reading something about it because I had a cat years ago that did the same thing. And they were saying it goes back to when they were out in the wild, they knew to drink mm-hmm. not stagnant water. Whereas if it was flowing, it was going yeah. to be fresh. Exactly. And yeah. they'll, they'll be the clever ones yeah, that will do that yeah, it's, it's really incredible great, what the instincts great can do great in- intuition uh, Liz in Kinsale uh, Hi Trish my three year old male cat got an abscess on the base of his tail right actually near his bottom mm-hmm. from a bite from another cat mm-hmm. now he's had a cone on for three weeks now we took it off after two but he started licking it and making it bleed again so we had to put it back on mm-hmm. so it's now been on for three weeks can we safely take the cone off now and is there anything that Jane could suggest that I could put around the wound to stop him licking it again. Mm. This is a bit of a difficult one. Cat bite abscesses are incredibly common, unfortunately, because they can be really nasty little things for our poor cats to have. Um, interestingly enough, inside in cats' mouths, if they bite, they have a beautiful cocktail of nasty bacteria that live in there um, that can make really, really bad abscesses when they bite another cat. So this this is not uncommon, okay? Mm-hmm. It's painful, as you can imagine, because we have an infection probably built in there, a little cat bite abscess at the tail. So it will be uncomfortable and that will be, let's say, promoting that kind of licking that your cat will want to do. And unfortunately, it's very counterproductive. The last thing we want them to do is start licking at at the wound. Now, you've had a collar on. I assume it's one of those little plastic collars and that's a great step to deter them from going at the wound. And that's that's a good, important first step. I would hope that at this stage, if the abscess has been there for a little while, that you visited the vet. And I'd assume if you have a collar on, you probably have. With a lot of cat bite abscesses, we will need a course of, let's say, anti-inflammatories to bring down the pain and the swelling. And very frequently, based on the judgment of your vet, you may need a course of antibiotics. Um, So I would say if you haven't already visited the vet visit the vet Uh, but it sounds like you may have already done so now keeping them away from the wound as time rocks on I suppose there comes to a point you can't live with the cone on forever Um, there comes a point where you have to take it off and what I would say is if he's really trying to go at the wound still or if it's still scabbing over 
Um, I will probably pop back to your vet for a little bit of an assessment in case there is anything they can do to help the wound feel more comfortable, whether that be more pain relief while the area is he- still healing up and settling down. Is he, is, would you think he's licking it because it's uncomfortable? More than likely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sometimes it can be not un- discomfort, but sometimes it can be kind of their, their drive to clean themselves. And if they feel something crusty and funny back there, they'll they'll want to lick and it off. And we know the way cats are about keeping themselves clean. Exactly, exactly. So it's all part of their instincts. I would really say there's nothing specific you can put on to deter them from licking and biting at the area to be honest I wouldn't want to suggest putting on anything that's going to taste nasty because it's quite likely not good for them Mm. Um, so I think really it's pain management and like you have been doing keeping the collar on normally when they heal up fully and the scab has gone they won't have anything to go and lick at and the area should be comfortable at that point but if it's taking a little further time than usual to heal I would say pop back to your vet for an assessment just in case it's a particularly stubborn infection um, or he needs some further attention but you'll get there in the end um, and it can be very frustrating I, I, know, I know your pain with having the little plastic cones on I suppose one other thing you could potentially do if the cone is causing a problem you can get little body suits they're almost like little cat suits these days and if the if the bite is just over the base of the tail sometimes you can get little kind of, they're almost like kind of baby grows yeah. uh, for want of a better word um, that might be more comfortable but in this hot weather it might be a bit of a challenge and to and keep on and then a three year old cat will they take to that you'd be surprised would they yeah okay, okay. <laughs> Oh, I've just seen a question in, but I think we've we've sort of answered it with the other one. It's to do with a lap dog living indoors. Uh, just the listeners worried that he's not drinking enough and they've got water in every room in the house. Um, but you've made the point he'll know himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't worry. I think it's just because we think that they should be drinking more, uh, but it's, uh, the dog will be fine. Helen and McCroom, uh, her dog of 17 years has passed away. She said, I am broken hearted. I'm looking for a new puppy, either a Bichon Freeze or a, a Satch. The Satch Terrier? Uh, maybe a Scotch Terrier. Scotch, could like be that. Scotch. Yeah. It's come through yeah. a Satch, it could have been. Okay, uh, anybody know a reputable place to go? Okay, um, now I'm not expecting you to give us the name of breeders. How do you go about, and I know where Helen is coming from because mm-hmm. we're always doing the interviews on the puppy farms. How do you know where you're going is reputable? Okay, so I think the first step is where do you search? Okay, I think speak to your local vet. They'll know breeders in the area and if they don't, they will be able to point you towards somebody who might know. I think a really good step sometimes is to look at the Irish Kennel Club or maybe give them a call because they'll have a a register of reputable breeders. Um, They have to follow certain standards. Um, And normally they'll be able to point you in the direction of who will have a, a litter sometime soon of some puppies. Now, I think the second most important thing is when you're going to get the pup, go and see the pup in its own environment. Never meet them in a car park, not at the back of any other shop or anything like that. Go to the home and make sure it looks like the home. That it's not, let's say, the puppy puppy and the mother bought into a room they don't normally live in for show. So ask to see exactly where they've been kept while they've been reared. Okay. Um, make sure and a reputable dog breeder will not mind being oh asked no not no. at all that okay. will be their pleasure they are okay. usually quite happy to show off the fact that they're doing a great job because there's a lot of bad press out there about some less than scrupulous mm. um, and rightly so unfortunately exactly exactly and I think that the ones that are doing it well will be more than happy to be very open about what they're doing because they have great pride in their dogs great pride in their puppies and they usually really care about where they're going um, so I would ask to see them in their own environment and with the mum and the rest of the litter if they're still there okay if you can see the dad too then great but they're not always on site and that and that's quite normal but the mum is the really important thing I would say 
if you can go and see them before the time they're ready to go and kind of have a little look around the area before you go on the day to let's say pick up the pup then that's that's an added bonus because you can get a feel for the place go home with a clear mind um have a little think about where that's one where you want to buy a pup from um i think oh another thing another strategy you could possibly take as well is buying a new puppy is great they're an awful lot of work so make sure you're ready for the commitment the other option is also a commitment but you could think about rehoming a dog now it might not necessarily be a puppy mm. but there are absolutely tons of fabulous dogs out there that have maybe not had the best start in life maybe might be a little bit older and will need a second chance um i've taken on one little dog recently called sally and she is an absolute joy she's an older little lady but she's fabulous she's a little firecracker and for me I think opening my home to, let's say, a a dog that maybe needs a second chance in life has been an absolute joy. And I think if we can support rehoming um, and replacing those dogs in a good environment, that's possibly a really great thing to do if it suits your lifestyle and if you can devote the time to them. Yeah, and they say the love you get from a rehomed dog, it's as if they they sense it. Yeah, they really appreciate everything they have. I know Sally kind of wakes up every morning going, oh my God, is this where I get to live now? Yeah, bless. (laughs) Um, So I think a puppy is great. If you're going to do it responsibly, then then, then well done. But yeah, if but, not, yeah. think about rehoming. Do okay, Helen. Good luck with it, and and and, and we feel your pain. I know it's 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 like losing a member of the family, and Absolutely. after seventeen years, oh, goodness they, me. Yeah. Uh, this is from Mary. What are the symptoms of Cushing's disease, and what's the long term prognosis? My Jack Russell is fifteen, drinking a lot of water and not much of an appetite. Do we need to mm-hmm. be concerned? So, Why is she saying Cushing's? So Cushing's disease is a really interesting one. So every day during our daily lives, we have normal stress hormone called cortisol. Um, and that's made by a little nubbin that lives above our kidneys called the adrenal. Now, that's very normal to have stress hormone in the system. It helps us deal with daily stresses, daily lives. But sometimes we can have too much stress hormone in the system. And that gives us a condition called Cushing's disease. So it's, it's essentially just too much stress hormone. Okay. Okay. Now it can be controlled and medicated. Um, What I would say the signs are, the classic sign that people normally come into me having noticed is that their dog is drinking and peeing an awful lot. That's usually the main one. That's what's happening here. Now, there can be a plethora of other signs. Sometimes they can get a kind of a podgy belly. Their fat distribution changes a little bit. Their muscle mass goes down. Lots of strange things can happen with, um, with Cushing's disease. But the main... 100% 100% sign that I get presented with is he's drinking and he's peeing too much. Okay. Now it's really important to rule out other causes other causes Diabetes of drinking. Diabetes is an obvious yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Particularly in our older patients with sometimes simple things like urinary tract infections yeah. can cause major problems. So it's really important to talk to your vet and uh, I suppose jump jump the gun um, on, How do you, on the side. Is there a simple test for it? There are. There are a number of tests. So guided by your vet they'll, they'll let you know which test is appropriate for your dog. Normally it's a little test sometimes that requires them to stay in for a few hours then we take a little baseline sample and then we'll have them have a little injection and then have another sample a few hours later so normally it's a morning um to have that done so your vet will be able to guide you as what test best suits your dog okay. the really important thing is and to rule out the other options if diagnosed because obviously that's where mary's yeah. coming from she's she's maybe you've doctor googled it mary i don't know <laughs> she's thinking cushions if it is cushions because it's a 15 year old yeah. dog what does that mean for the dog it's it's good news 
So okay. it means that it is controllable. Now, it does take a lot of commitment. Um, it will be daily tablets for the rest of the life. And that can kind of reduce down the stress hormone in the system. And and by that, by that effect, kind of reduce the effects on the body of the stress hormone in the system. I would say it's, it's a reasonably good prognosis for quality of life. A lot of them will improve markedly. Um, so I think it's definitely worth something checking out. As I say, make sure that your vet will, I'm sure they will always rule out the other possibilities for drinking and peeing too much. But I, I wouldn't worry too much. I think it's a lot of commitment, but you can do a lot to help your vet. Okay. Noel says, uh, please ask Jane, what's the best type of food for a one-year-old whippet? And how much exercise does a whippet need? Oh, right. A lot of exercise, (laughs) will it? Well, you know, you'd be surprised. Um, I I think a lot of the sighthounds we kind of perceive as needing absolutely bundles of exercise and they do need a lot of exercise they have a lot of energy to blast off but you don't need to be walking them 24 hours a day a lot of them are are built as sprinters in a sense particularly let's say greyhounds and things like that and whippets are not too far removed Uh, a lot smaller a lot more fragile in a sense Um, but a lot of them they're kind of built for sprinting they love a good run around Uh, sometimes playing with a ball is is a great thing to burn off some energy and make sure the calories are burned off but lots of nice kind of mentally fulfilling walks is is a good thing I think the more exercise the better really okay and the food food wise I think a good adult food I wouldn't go anything too specific you can get lots of crazy diets on the market that are made for specific breeds now there's not too much difference to be honest um, it's more branding on a lot of them the important thing is to pick a food that's appropriate for the size of dog you have so a whippet is kind of small to medium breed um, so I would pick a size of kibble that's kind of suitable for the size of their mouth and your vet, your vet and nurse will be able to guide you effectively as to that but I would say more than picking a specific food it's about quality Okay, Okay. so you want to pick a good quality food because you're investing in their future because they'll have all of the minerals and vitamins they need to keep them healthy. I think the best place to visit is probably your vet. Even if they're not, let's say, touting a product that they're selling, they'll be able to guide you as to ones that are available in your local area that are of good quality that they would feed to their own dogs. I know I I have a few brands that I'd feed to my own dogs and they'd be the ones I'd personally recommend Mm. to my clients because I have. And is it always dry? Dry is normally best to begin yeah. with, to be honest. There's nothing wrong with soft food. I wouldn't go for a full soft food diet. To be honest, having some dry kibble in the diet is really great for their teeth. Yeah. Um, a good bit of crunch, particularly from day dot, essentially, and particularly in a one-year-old dog, is definitely the best thing to okay. do. And, and enjoy your one-year-old whippet. Yeah. Uh, no, listen, as always, Jane, thank you for that. We'll talk again next week. Thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Ministry Veterinary Group. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul Mac- McNamara for producing Nick Richards' next talk tomorrow at 10.